we're all some kind of ass biscuit. We're just trying to be more biscuit, but generally we end up being more ass. <laughs> but we don't want to be full ass, but we also don't want to be full biscuit. We want to be somewhere in the middle there, but slightly more biscuit than ass. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. It's me. Happy February. It's about time. I think I think January was probably the longest month I've ever experienced. It was so long and so dark and wet and cold. And I mean, for anyone in Australia listening to this, you'll be like, oh, can we please have January back? Because it was so warm and nice. And I'm like, well, you're probably going to be... I I know I'm glorifying the Australian summer because it's so cold here that I'm like, I would rather live in an oven forever as long as it was light and uh, bright and not British winter. Also, it coincided with, like, I need to get a new therapist and that is the worst. It's so difficult. Just, it's like going on like a a speed, speed, speed dating event, speed dating event, where you just putting all your trauma and your vulnerability and everything out on the table and you're like, can I ever be okay? And then they can be like, oh, no, sorry. (laughs) And you just go on to the next one. So, what a month. And I mean this when I say that it, it, this helps. You people supporting me and listening helps. I'll try not gush too much over you because I tend to do that quite a lot. This episode is with the, um, I don't even know what the word is, exuberant? I don't even know what that means. The interesting, uh, entity that is Samina Sarah. Like, she is, (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, listen to it. It's, uh, she's incredible. (laughs) You're gonna absolutely love her. What a woman. So. Quickly, quickly, just want to say I am going on a UK book and stand-up tour called Bubble Wrap Happy Fat in May, April and June 2019. That's this year. And (laughs) it's soon. It's in a... It's in a... Did I say May, April, June? That's not the order of the months, is it? It's April, May, June. Wow. January, eh? Uh, (laughs) I'm also doing two Denmark shows in April. That's before May. In Copenhagen and Aarhus, uh, of my new show, The Bum Swing, you should sign up for my newsletter for secrets and gossip. You should also buy the filmed versions of my two previous shows, which you can download for £5 each. Uh, all of this is on my website, sophiehagen.com. Click, click away. You can also pre-order Happy Fat, which is my book about why it's okay to be fat. Uh, you could b- get it on Amazon or Waterstones or wherever you b- get your books. I then want to do a bit of a special plug. I mean, I, I know I always tell you about Secret Dinosaur Cult, which is my other podcast uh, that I do with Jody Mitchell, a comedy, <laughs> comedy podcast about dinosaurs and daddy issues. We do live shows. You should definitely come to them. Come to the live shows. It's, just, it's always this amazing space full of queer people, and it's just wonderful. Uh, all those tickets and stuff are on secretdinosaurcult.com. But I do want to plug, on Monday, we released the... Ooh, I want to say... Do I want to say 18? 19th episode of the podcast. And it is about echoism. Which is a fairly new, newly coined word for the condition you live with, suffer from... Uh, I, I mean, I'm using all the words wrong, but if you are, if you have been raised by a narcissistic uh, pa- parent, or in my case, grandfather, uh, so it's like the the opposite of a narcissist, basically, and it is one of the most, if not the most, I don't want to say important, like important to me at least, but the most vulnerable, uh, interesting, I think, 
episodes of any podcast I've ever done, ever, was episode 19 of Secret Dinosaur Cult. It is, uh, it felt, I mean, amazing to do. It felt really big. So I uh, would like to plug that. (laughs) So if you want, go and listen to Secret Dinosaur Cult, all of the episodes, but also particularly episode 19. Okay, I'm going to let you listen to this incredible person, Samina Sarah. Would you like to just, for people who might not know who you are, just give a brief introduction of who you are? Ooh. Um, so my name is Samina Zahra and I am a, what am I, I'm a writer and a comedian and a storyteller, I sing blues, I live in the world, I'm quite homicidal but I'm a pacifist so that's difficult for me, um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just here, I'm a person like every other person. <laughs> I, I really want to dig into the homicidal <laughs> bit, I feel like that's going to be the, it's going to be in the back of my head <laughs> for a bit. I mean, it's just that, um, I guess it's just the world we live in. I want, I have a sense that, you know, I want humanity to be better. I want everyone to be happy. I want peace. I want all those things that other people want. But also human beings are assholes. So I also want to just punch them repeatedly. But I can't because I totally believe in nonviolent civil disobedience or nonviolence as a long-term solution but then sometimes I just want to get a taser and go crazy. What, so you strike me as, like, every time I've met you, you've started saying things, and I've thought, no one has this story. No <laughs> one, what is happening right now? I don't, wait, wait. And I wanted to sit you down and just have you go, like, tell me everything. <laughs> and it's basically this. I'm like, right, okay, so what, what is your life? I don't know. It's not that interesting, my life. I mean, I'm not, I'm just a, you know, kind of ordinary person doing a thing. Um, I find other people's lives interesting. I find, I think what I'm constantly thinking is why do people behave? How did we get here? What is going on? Why can't I, I'm quite old. I'll be dead soon. This is great news because I'm just so tired of this shit. Um, but I love people and I have uh, kids. They're not technically my kids. I inherited them when I married my husband. But I love them, so they're mine. That's how it works. Um, and I, so I have to worry about the world, not just for them, for everybody's kids. It's very tedious. I wish that I was, I wish I didn't give a shit. Yeah, I get that. It would I, be easier if it, you were yeah. just blank. I wish that I could just, but I have, a, I have a suspicion that all those people that we look at and we go, oh, they don't care about anything. They're just breezing through life and they're just, you know, I don't know, buying lipstick or watching reality TV. They are also troubled and they are also turmoil, full of turmoil and all of those things. It's, a, it's relative. It's just different things that distress them to the things that distress me. That's all I think. Yeah, it's- I, th- I feel like you... you th- so there are the people who are trying to fit in, basically, yeah. who are doing all the things you're meant to be doing. You know, like buying lipstick, you're meant to be buying lipstick, you're meant to do this, yeah. you're meant to live up to all of these gender roles and stereotypes. And yeah. you, But I think that's almost, in a way, harder than the people who, from the get-go, have gone like, fuck it, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Because yeah. you can never be perfect in the capitalist world. Yeah, and it's pointless. It's very often when I look at people like that, because I don't, you know, if you like all that stuff, good for you, go for it. But if you feel compelled by it, I just want to go, you've not been kidnapped. Stop with this Stockholm syndrome that you have with this shit. Just move along. Look, look, I have a hairy moustache. Look, it's great. I can twirl it at night when I'm watching real crime. I don't, whatever, you know. But people are, but I think it's because we live in a cruel world that does judge people. I do it. I look at people and I go, well, that that one's a waste of space. I find myself doing that all the time, you know, because we are, because human beings are shit. But Uh, also great, but shit. How how old are your kids? So uh, the eldest one is, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't think about him much because I, if we had Sophie's choice, he'd be the one to go. I'm very close to two young, that's a terrible thing to say. I'm very close to two young ones, but the eldest one is 28. The Middle one is 25 and the youngest one is 23. Okay, and when did you come into their lives? I have been in their lives for 16 years. Yeah. So I think because I have sufficiently 
destroyed their mental health. I can call them my children because that is what parents are job. supposed to yeah, do. That's, that's kind job. of the job. So that's what I've done. I have, uh, ha ha uh, Yeah, no, they're great. They're absolutely fantastic, all three of them, actually. So tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What? So I grew up here. Till I, so I was born in India, in Kashmir, which is the northmost part of India, which is beautiful. Uh, and then uh, when I was a baby, I was brought to it because my father's British. He's Indian, but British. And uh, when I was about five or six, they got divorced or the, my mother left him. And then we were living in London for a bit. And then we went back to India when I was about for good, when I was about nine, uh, which was terrifying because I didn't speak any Indian languages. Mm. <laughs> I spoke South London. Um, it's a dialect. And um, it was a, it was quite terrifying in a weird sort of way because I was amongst strangers in a place I didn't know at all uh, but somehow I was just supposed to take it in my stride because they were my family um, yeah and so then I grew up there and in between uh, there and here and I went to boarding school and all sorts of other things happened and uh, I moved back here in my mid-20s and I'm 50 now so I've been here like 25 years how do you, do you ever see anything in your personality and your character that you can see comes from that experience like something you learned or something that you've had to develop to both both the divorce in itself but also just the suddenly moving to I mean the country. divorce was neither here nor there it was quite nice actually because they just fought so much that it was a relief when they left when they split up I, I yes of course I mean because we're all a product of you know the 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 situations that we find ourselves I know you talk about this in your shows of you know um about how all of that affects us I think and everybody goes through that I think I do believe that you are born with something that makes you there's an essence of you that responds to external stimuli in a particular way so um like when I, I shouldn't say this in public but I'm gonna when I went back at that age and I you know like and also because people were speaking different languages around me so at home we all speak English but also people were speaking Kashmiri and Urdu and stuff and you'll know this because you're Danish so when you when you have more than one language you often speak in several languages at the same time mm. so um that would happen and it would make me completely paranoid and I'd be like oh this they're saying they're saying stuff what's going on so I had built I had constructed a whole world in my head in which I had been abducted, but in a kindly way, not in a bad way. And I was in this weird world that didn't I didn't belong to. And every time they were speaking, there was some kind of like weird thing going on and I had to solve the puzzle. And then I would, I mean, I was a very weird kid. I was, I'm an only child as well. And I spent a lot of time in, my grandfather's house had cherry trees. I spent a lot of time in the cherry trees as a lookout for nothing because there was nothing going on obviously um so i constru i constructed a whole separate world which was a defense mechanism to deal with um what i now look back and think was quite traumatic probably for a child but at the time it was like an exciting adventure wow. and that's i think that that's what i do when i'm faced with something that is um difficult i I want to go right through it, so I'll find a way to go through it. Not always a good way. <laughs> it can get me into a lot of trouble as well. But I, I'm not a person who um, turns my face away from something difficult. I want to deal with it and get rid of it. And so I think I learned that at a very, very young age because of those kind of things. But I know that in a similar circumstance, a different person might have behaved or reacted very differently. So... I don't know. It's very confusing and complicated. Do you do you have lessons that you have from that you remember the first time you learned a lesson that you still remember? Well, I think I did not exact obviously not exactly the same thing, but I remember living in worlds. I remember yeah. having worlds in my head that I would go to and imagine yeah. something different. I was upset and I would convince myself of how real it was. Yeah. Like a little comment like I would see, we saw the um me and my friend so the uh, the cleaning lady at the school just pours some water into a drain. And I said, what if it's poison? And within five <laughs> minutes, I was oh, trying yeah. to get I'm all the you. teachers to call the police. <laughs> all the darkness. Yeah, yeah. I lo the darkness is great. But did you have imaginary friends? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. I, rem I got um, <laughs> a three and there were a gang. Ah. Yeah. Um, 
oh, I'm trying to remember their names. I do know them. <laughs> and uh, my mom had to be called to have a meeting with the teachers in the kindergarten <laughs> because I wouldn't play with anyone else. And other uh, and they were so exciting, my friends, my imaginary yeah. friends, that the other kids wanted to play with us. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm sitting in this shed on my own playing with my three friends over here. So, so they had to so be like, good. Sophie and her imaginary friends have to include other people. In <laughs> I made these up because of you pricks. Yeah. Did you I think have that? The, I did. I mean, I had, I had, my imaginary friends were very, very tiny. Oh yeah, I had one of those. Yeah, but I could put them in my pocket and take them places because for some reason my imaginary friends couldn't walk. <laughs> and uh, then when I got to the place, I could take them out and they would become full size. Yeah. That was very useful. I don't remember their names. They were just um, vessels for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm so horrible. Uh, I, I remember that one was a boy and one was a girl. And we had many exciting adventures together. Yeah. We were basically like, we also, I was very young when I um, read, I read The Godfather when I was 11, because I was very poorly supervised. <laughs> and I was very taken by that idea, because really what, the, the, I, I mean, I, I missed all the sex and all those bits, because I was like, what the hell is this crap? But that notion of having a network of like a tribe, a safety net, when when the rules don't work, you can go to somebody else for justice. I was like, oh, I'm totally going to be the godfather. That's it. Me and these two unnamed people are going to be. I, st- I had imaginary friends till quite late. I think I was like maybe 12 and a half when I let go of my imaginary friends, which is probably not healthy. Well, my, uh, I don't care. I, I remember my mom noticed this. I don't remember it. But one was called Mille. Mm-hmm. And she was also really, really small. Mm-hmm. But she functioned as a way for me to say the things I wanted to say, but I was too scared to say it. So I was like, oh, I'm okay with you doing that behavior, but (laughs) Millie really hates it. So I think just maybe for her, you should just not do that. Oh, that's such a good tactic. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe just, you know, uh, learn how to. No, no. Yeah. But when you're a child, of course, you're going to do, you know, I mean, we do it even as adults. We find the easiest way to live in a very difficult world and we do whatever it takes. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a new imaginary friend. Yeah. So I can just go, she doesn't like it. Please stop. <laughs> Tell me about your relationship with justice. Because you got like fiery eyes when you said it just now. <laughs> with justice. Oh, gosh. I Fairness and justice and making sense of the world. And I understand the context of, you know, when we were in the Stone Ages, we had the tribe and we needed to be safe. and I don't understand why we have uh, advanced so much scientifically. But yet our emotional intelligence is still sitting in that kind of, uh, what's it called? The, 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 it's not in the cerebral cortex, it's that something brain, isn't it? The lizard brain or whatever yeah, it's called, yeah. where, you, where it's fight or flight and all that. Like, why? Why are we still there? Why don't we, why is it impossible to say to somebody, I don't like you, I don't like anything you stand for, but you have a right to be who you are. And that's cool, off you go, bye. I don't want to spend time with you. But, you know, go well. Uh, and I fought with this my whole life it, in, in microcosms as well, like family, the notion of family that I find is such a weird social construct that, you know, no matter it's your family, right or wrong. And it's like blood is thicker than water. Yes, cheese is thicker than blood. What's your point? I don't I just don't buy it. So and just from that, the things that then become about justice and about fairness. And I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine when I was about 13 or 14 and she was talking about providing an alibi for a friend and I was like even if the friend did something wrong and she went yeah so what they're my friend and I was like but they did something wrong to somebody but I don't want them to but if they did something wrong they kind of have to pay for it the point is once they've paid for it then they can carry on then we forgive them that's the point but she was like no no why should you know it's fine that's the way of the way so that frustrates me and it's still Things still happen like that. And I, like I've said to all of the kids, if you do something wrong, I will sell my house to get you the best lawyer, but do not fucking expect to get away with it. Everybody does wrong things. You just, you pay your dues, you show remorse, you make amends, and we move the fuck on. But you don't, so it's all of that. There's all of that that goes, and then, so that extrapolates into then old boys network or you know, we, we all belong to this religion or we all belong to this city or we are all that kind of tribal bullshit that stops us from just or what we're doing with, uh, you know, refugees right now and people who are migrants or people who are in utterly desperate circumstances. And all we're doing to them is going, ah, well, you don't belong to my tribe. So fuck you. I just I find it heartbreaking and infuriating and 
I just know that that's the history of the world. I don't know that it'll ever change. Do you think part of that comes from, or like your um, ability to understand this or feel this way comes from being moved to India and being like torn out of your safe space or your community or whatever you had going? I mean, look, I I can't, no, I don't think so because I had a very privileged upbringing. So I can't even say like, oh, we were like this and it was so sad and we didn't have it. I, my grandfather's house that I grew up in was, it's a huge house. It's the base of a mountain opposite a lake. He had staff, like there was two gardeners and this and that. I mean, I've gone down a lot in the world since then. They're very ashamed of me. It's fine. Um, so I had a very privileged upbringing. I went to boarding school. I was surrounded by people. It was It was sort of psychologically slightly traumatic, but it wasn't like... I had left everything behind that I would never see again. It wasn't like I was fleeing and my family had been killed. It wasn't that for no reason that I can understand, some foreign people came and bombed my country and then I was left with no rights and nowhere to turn to and everybody I love was dead. That never happened to me. But I can, I just... Oh, even saying talking about that is making me so angry and so kind of... Oh, I don't know what we can do. We have to change it. We have to change it or we are... There's no point to us. There's just no point to us if we can't change that about ourselves. It's interesting you said that you were very anti-violence. Do you think we can change it without violence? Oh, gosh. Looking at the history of the world and what has changed things before, you know, like Malcolm X and... I I understand that. I understand the notion of... And also, what is violence? Because psychological violence is a thing as well. Mm. Um, so for me, the the direct this is a you know a whole other thing about I don't I don't think life in and of itself is sacred. So if you were going to be violent to me, put me up against a wall and shoot me in the head. Do not keep me in Gaza and you know and starve me for twenty five years. I think that's much more violent as well. So yeah, or I there's violence happening all around us. I I don't know how we can solve it, but I think that if we want longevity in our solutions we have to do it without violence um i mean i've been watching hunger games recently just to prepare for brexit you know because <laughs> we're all gonna need to do all that um and i and i was looking at that and that very much explores that idea between sort of you get rid of one bad thing but what do you replace it with and if you use the same things to replace it So let's forget about that. Let's forget about the conquering and the changing. Let's do this grassroots. Let's do it so that people refuse to behave like that with other people. And that's stuff that we do without governments. That's revolution that happens without anybody else. So if, like if every soldier were to say, no, I'm not picking up a gun and shooting, what would, where would armies be? There would be no armies. If, you know, if if we decide to take that responsibility for ourselves and for our children and for our loved ones. In our, in our tiny little areas, even if we can do that, eventually I think that will ripple out. And whenever I'm feeling very depressed about this, which is a lot, uh, I think of this notion that for the first time in human history, we have a generation, and it's not everywhere, it's within privileged, educated nations or whatever it is, but we have a generation of parents who think that it is absolutely unacceptable to use violence to discipline their children. That's the first time in history that's happened. It's always been acceptable to slap your children or hit your children or you know punish your children instead of treating them with respect and speaking to them. Like So this is a tiny little thing, but it's happened in this generation. So maybe three generations down the line, if violence has not been part of people's upbringing and it's not a thing, then maybe people will just go, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do violence. I don't accept it. I don't understand it. And maybe we'll be, we'll get to a place where you don't have that option. What do you do then? Like, what do you do with a three-year-old who's throwing a tantrum and wants to run onto the train tracks? But you you can't hit them. You can't, you have to somehow use your brain and use your heart and negotiate that. And if we can do that for a few generations and it spreads... Maybe we'll get to a point where we don't accept violence. And there'll still be people who do it, you know, like, it'll be like pissing yourself on the bus. Some people will do it, but it won't be the norm. <laughs> my, my therapist said something really interesting about child psychology, that <clears throat> psychology in itself is fairly new. Mm. Like, you know, obviously new, new, but, you know, the science and looking into it yeah. is fairly new. But with ch uh, children's psychology because it'll take 20 years to see if a theory works, yeah. because you need to see how they function as adults, it's slower than anything. We know mm. barely 
nothing about yeah. uh, how to how to not fuck up a child because <laughs> you can have an idea now and then you go right let's try that and then we'll yeah. meet we'll oh. meet here again in 20 years <laughs> and see if that worked and then we'll start over yeah it's really interesting to see how because you're so right that's such a good point you know i think it's also because we have a limited lifespan so we only live whatever 80 to 100 years if we're lucky so there's no quick fix to this so we have to put the things in place now that we know we'll never see. It's like planting a, you know, planting an acorn. You're never going to climb that oak, but somebody else will. And so, if there's a way that we can do that, so these are, you know, these are my be- other times. I just think, oh no, let's just uh, let's just put MDMA in the water supply, and everybody will be like, oh, I love you. Look at your hair. No, you have the Golan Heights. No, you have them. Um, or or just you know machete. I, any of those options like it just depends where my head is on a particular day <laughs> all of those options are open but that's like sacrifice doesn't it, it to is. do something that makes uh, I mean I, I think a lot of people particularly people who are not straight white men do this like it's just like an automatic self-sacrifice I was in a meeting with a Danish producer and <laughs> I just I just been in had a, a public um uh, beef with a Danish comedian as I mm. do and then this producer was like yeah so um, I'd love to uh, make a sitcom with you but um, you would have to be able to work with this comedian with this so um, yeah so can you see how you know when you get into this public beef with them that that might ruin your arts and I was like yeah but he did something really bad yeah. and I called him out on doing this really bad thing Yeah. so and he was, and then the producer and he literally said this he went um yeah, but for what? Because then maybe in 15, 20 years, there'll be more women on TV. Yeah. But then you won't have had a sitcom. So Doesn't is it matter. worth it? And I was like, yeah. I was just like, Emily Davidson threw herself under a horse. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? How well, are you She not? totally did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she totally did. It's that yeah. idea of them just, of, well, not, that's obvious, not, not all men, whatever. But for him, <laughs> it was incomprehensible that you would. And I'm not saying that I'm like Jesus for not getting yeah, a sitcom or whatever. A little bit, but not but I'm totally. A tiny bit yeah. Jesus, not tiny bit, yeah. Tiny bit Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but but I'm white. So um, so he, but he just couldn't understand the idea of of saying, yeah, I know that's going to cost me right now, but yeah. also it's not like losing a Danish sitcom is like, oh no, I know, but <laughs> I was going to be my ticket to Hollywood. But I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I used to be an actor before I started doing comedy and stuff, and I talked myself out of a lot of jobs. Because I, I just cannot, yeah, you know, size 16 foot and my size three mouth. But I'm also like, it's genuinely out of, it's not like I'm saying to a person, you're an asshole. I'm going, why are you doing this? What is the point of this? This is, this is, so I'll, I'll tell you this story about, um, do you remember Bombay Dreams? It was a big musical that Andrew Lloyd Webber did. Oh, maybe, yeah, a bit. West India, whatever. It was, it was years ago. It's probably before you were born in 2002 or something. <laughs> um, and I, I, my uh, agent at the time sent me for an audition. I was like, I'm not going to do a musical. Why are you saying? He said, no, no, the, the uh, director is very good. You should go and meet him. And I was like, ah, fine, okay, whatever. And I took my sheet music with me and I turned up. And I was in the line and um, about three ahead of me, this woman went in and she came out. And she said, oh, they asked me to sing something in Indian. And I was like, what now? They asked you to sing something in Indian or did they ask you to sing an Indian song? She went, no, they said, can you sing in Indian? And immediately smoke started pouring out of my ears. Now, the, bear in mind, this is now like 17 years ago. So they were so not woke in any way, shape or form. Anyway, so I went in. And I, was, I just tore up my sheet music outside and dropped it, like, a bit like a psychopath. If anybody was watching me, they were like, what is she doing? Because I was really calm. I just tore it up and put it on the side. And all the other people for the audition were just looking at me. And I went into the room. Now, bear in mind, they don't know why I'm angry. There's three white men sitting at the table to audition. And there's a white guy on the piano. Was one of them Andrew Lloyd Webber? No, no. Okay, Andrew Lloyd okay. Webber wasn't there. I have another story about him. Um, so... <laughs> So bear in mind, they don't know why I'm, they, they have, they just know that I'm an eager actor coming for an audition. So I came in and they went, hello. And I went, hello, like this. And they all visibly all just <laughs> sat up. But of course, they're English and British. So they couldn't kind of go, are you okay? They went, oh, um, how nice to meet you. Do you, <laughs> do you have your sheet music? And I went, oh, I thought you were doing an Indian musical. Indian music doesn't have sheet music. Did you not know that? Did you? Did you? Did you? <laughs> now, at this point, 
I would not have blamed them if they had just called security and had me taken out. <laughs> if I had been more sensible, I would have gone in there like an adult and said, guys, this I've just heard this outside. Do you understand how uh, crap that is? And why you shouldn't be doing that. And do you understand that there are 23 national languages in India? And Indian is not it's like saying, can you sing something in British? It's not a... So I would have been reasonable. But I wasn't feeling reasonable. So I just went to be... And they were, they were like, oh, um, oh the, yes, of course, of course. Well, oh. And then the, the guy at the, the piano went, in his very British dad joke, he went, oh, a bit of a rest for me then. Like this. And then, because they, they were just trying to de-escalate the situation where any minute, obviously, I was going to freak out and then the guy said to me um well uh, whenever you're ready whenever you're ready please please sing for us and i went okay i'm going to sing an indian folk song and they went oh that marvelous marvelous and I went, do you want to know what it's about do you speak hindi can you translate do you want to tra- do you want to know what it's about at all at all do you know anything and so i mean this was just getting progressively worse and worse they were looking so frightened anyway i sang it and then I went to leave and they were like, no, that, oh, thank you. That was very good. Uh, could you sing it again from the back of the room? You've got a very loud voice. And I was like, OK. And I sang it again. And then they went, well, thank you for coming. We'll be in touch. I went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thanks a lot. And I left. And I immediately, I immediately called my agent and I said, look, uh, this is what's happened. This is why it happened. My agent was a big old lefty at the time. He was like, no worries. I've got your back. They did call him. They asked me for a recall. I was like, no, I'm not. Don't even. I'm not even going. I'm not going for a recall. They would not, I would not have been able to work with them. I would have stabbed them all. But it was just that notion of, I don't know what, I would love to hear from them what their perception of that, mm. that 15 minutes was. Because they must have just, because she's crazy. And if any other casting director ever recommended me to them, they would have gone, oh no, not her, not her. She is completely mad. Don't, don't even, we can't, she might eat us while we're sitting there. Do you know what I mean? But that kind of makes you a disruptor, you know? Do you I, find that you, that's your thing? I not your thing, but you know. I think people are, quite often people are uh, apprehensive and afraid of me. Sometimes. Actually, quite often. Actually, it's probably my fault. Anyway. Um, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. I don't care. I think, um, I think it is part of who I am. It's not the best part of who I am, let's be honest. Um, but uh, it's part of who I am. I do get angry about things like that. And I think I'm, I think it's okay to get angry about things like that. I think if they'd been doing an opera by Verdi, they would not have been so lax in their understanding of the background. But the corollary to that story is that many, uh, about a, a few months later, I met Mira Seal because she was, she wrote the book for that. Mm. And she was, she came to see a play that I was in, blah, blah, blah. She came to see somebody else. But anyway, we we're chatting afterwards. And the part that I had played was very similar to a part that was in the show. So afterwards, she, uh, she said hi and she met the cast and everything. She said, oh, you know, they're doing this Bombay Dream. You should totally. So I told her <laughs> this whole story at this time. And then she went, oh, I, yeah, I wrote the book for that. And I was like, ah, for fuck's sake, Samina. <laughs> But then they called me to do the two-week workshop and my agent called me and they said they're doing a, a, a workshop. And I said, haven't I already said to you, I don't want to work with them. They're idiots. He went, it's £1,500 for two weeks. I said, okay, when does it start? <laughs> and so I went and that's, that's when I met Andrew Lloyd Webber and stepped on his foot by mistake. <clears throat> you can't just... You can't glide over that. Uh, it was, Talk about because stepping he was, on Andrew Lloyd Webber. He was in the, he was in the uh, obviously he was in the <laughs> rehearsal room and we were having uh, the coffee station and he was standing behind me and I took a coffee and I stepped back and my heel stepped on his foot and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, but I wasn't at all. <laughs> Do you know uh, Lars von Trier, the no. Danish director? I know who, he, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. him personally. Yeah. My, I was uh, an intern at Centrope, his movie company, when all I right. was for 15, 16 maybe. And I didn't know how he looked. I just knew he was a genius and I loved all of his films. Mm. Well, I thought he was a genius now. Things change. <laughs> <clears throat> Back then he was still super fine. And all I knew was that this guy, this man, was. Just, it was in December and it was like snowy and very, very cold. Suddenly this man was standing next to me in reception. I'd been sent to go get scissors for like a Christmas thing. And then this man was standing next to me and he was asking the receptionist for a towel. And I just like looked at him like, what, what, what? what? And then he looked at me and he said, I'm going to go and uh, take a swim in the pool. Do you want to come? Yeah. And I was like, it's December. And he was like, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. And I was just like, uh, no, no. Uh, I absolutely will not do that. And I was like rolling my eyes. And I'm like, what the fuck is this freak doing? Yeah. I gave 
Lars von Trier is such an attitude. Oh, good. Like, oh, pfft, freak. And then later, uh, I opened a, at home, I opened a cupboard, and my mom was a huge fan of Lars von Trier. So she had pictures of him inside this <laughs> cupboard. And I was like, wait, that, that man asked me to swim with him today. And my I mom know. was like, you didn't swim with him? Just, yeah. <laughs> You take all the ice. Take all the ice. <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? I mean, there's some, like I did those two, two weeks. My, my current acting agent, I haven't done any acting work for ages, but she just keeps me on her books because she's lovely. Um, she asked me a very interesting thing when we first met. She said, I need to know what work you want to do. I need to know what work you'll do when you need the money. And I need to know what work you won't do under any circumstances. And I said, I love you. Please be my agent forever. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. So it's that thing, isn't it? It's arbitrary lines that we draw and we yeah. just end up in these situations where we... <laughs> oh, 59, but thank you very much. But do you think when you said it wasn't the best part of you, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that's amazing that you did that. I think what would have been amazing and would have actually made some lasting change instead of just making me feel better mm-hmm. would have been to go in there and say... I, this woman has just come out and said you asked her to sing something in Indian. Do yeah. you understand why you are such dickheads for doing that? I see. I see at least yeah. let them know why. There's no point of shouting at people and running off. That only, you know, oh, what I is the point know. of that? The, I think the point is that you're not, like, going in there and just calmly explaining. I don't know. I just feel like... No, it's no, like I could have been rude to them as well. True, I could have gone, you're true. dickheads. <laughs> But at least let them know why. I see what you mean. I think (laughs) I I just really love that you were so not what you were meant to be. You know, like you were so meant meant to be be calm and nice. Excuse me, sir. I was just wondering if perhaps you knew that uh, by any chance he has a book that I bought for you about India. You know, no, I wouldn't. I like that you're just like like, fuck you. You like. That, but I guess that's the whole discussion about violence and non-violence and aggression and non-aggression. And like, I think we need both. Yes, I think we need think, that, and then I, we need someone to calmly explain to them afterwards yeah. why. <laughs> why I punched you, you till yeah. you fell down. Um, I think, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think that it's on a continuum, isn't it? It's like, wh- what is the what is the level of acceptable violence, and what is the level of acceptable? Like this is what in my new show, Ask Biscuits, I'm talking about this fact that we're all some kind of ass biscuit. We're just trying to be more biscuit, but generally we end up being more ass. <laughs> but we don't want to be full ass, but we also don't want to be full biscuit. Mm. We want to be somewhere in the middle there, but slightly more biscuit than ass, right? I don't know why I ever use this analogy. It's great, but it's also <laughs> so confusing. Um, so, yeah, I think, and and obviously different people's, you know, culturally the definitions will be different individually, socially, you know, all of those kind of reasons religiously all the definitions will always be different so we have to negotiate those so do you think with that beautiful analogy (laughs) where it goes from ass to biscuit yeah (laughs) the ass biscuit right in the middle yeah so do you think so there's there's who you want to be yeah or what you want to be doing and then there's who you actually are Ah. so do you think you might just be on that spectrum and that is where you are and then so is it sometimes I think is what, what I want to say is it sometimes not better to be like I accept that my personality my core of who I am is to be a biscuit or is to be an ass yeah and then, that, like, and then yeah. maybe you feel better acknowledging that you're just I think you have to acknowledge your darkness and your light so for me it's like a bell curve and the two bottom ends are tiny, the arse and the biscuit. And generally, everybody else is in the middle of that bell curve. Yeah. And also, every individual is hopping around that bell curve. You're, mm-hmm. not, you're not always more towards arse. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the beautiful things is being able to accept one's... Whatever face you give to the outside world. I'm not saying you have to bear yourself in public. But at least you should know your own darkness. You know, you should have your own, you should understand that and embrace it because it is, it might be one of the best things about you. It might be the thing that keeps you safe. It might be the thing that allows you to see other people clearly. Like, you know, when Maya Angelou says that thing about when other people show you who they are, believe them the first time. (gasps) She's Mm. so right. Mm. So right. Um, Yeah, I think you, you, I don't think you exist in one place, but I think you, but we're all, again, we're taught to be, you know, we're, we're taught, no, you have to be this. You have to have this ideal. You have to be like, I'm having interesting conversations with my daughter at the moment and I, and my son, the, the two younger ones. So my daughter's non-binary and they've just come out as non-binary sort of towards the end of last year. Um, 
uh, my son is gay. He's a dancer. Uh, they're an artist. I do. I, I still fumble with that. Of course. And yeah. I have said, I have said to them that I will be fumbling with this because all my life I've known you as um, she, but now I will use they. And actually, they said we don't mind that much. Yeah. Because they don't have body dysmorphia or anything like that. They're just like don't want to be defined sometimes very femme sometimes these are such fan- fascinating conversations to me because they're about a whole different set of being and looking at the world and acceptance and understanding where people are allowed to make mistakes and be like I'm totally an ass in this world I don't know anything and I and it's not their job to teach me but it's it's my job to be sort of inquisitive about it but while I'm being inquisitive I will make mistakes and i'm happy for people to say to me that was a dick move don't do that and i'll be like i'm sorry this was my intention or maybe this was or let's can we talk about no you don't want to talk about fine i'll i'll find out from all of that we're just negotiating constantly so you find where you sit wherever you sit you let other people sit wherever they sit you find the things that don't trigger you and you hold the line for other people the things that trigger you you get someone else to hold the line for you and that's how we do it together you know like for each other also just keep a machete. <laughs> What's your darkness then? What's my darkness? Oh god, I'm so dark in my head. I mean, I you know, you you've heard me talk about planning my husband's funeral in my head. And I do it because when he annoys me, I mean, he's he's just the most amazing man in the world. I love him to bits. I would not have lasted because I'm naturally meant to be alone. I'm a hermit and I hate human beings. So, I, we've been together 16 years and he's amazing but he does annoy me and when he really annoys me i don't plan his death but i plan his funeral in my head and it's a massive funeral and there are people there and and lots of i've done like a viking funeral i've done buddhist funeral i've done all sorts of different funerals i made up some funerals i put him in a big pod and dug him in the ground and then a tree grew out so i just fantasize about him being gone but also because it's fu- his his funeral i have to do his eulogy and then when i'm doing his eulogy i remember all the reasons why i love him so much and then it the anger just goes away and quite often he doesn't have to make up for whatever he's done that's wrong um that he will he will say is not wrong and he's like probably 8 times out of 10 he's right <laughs> so another I, imaginary world um it's not so much an imaginary world but it's kind of like it's the thing in me where i go i can love a person and i can also hate them that's okay it's okay to hate somebody It's okay to wish bad things on somebody when I know I don't mean it, but I just need to get it out of my system because I don't want to pretend I don't wish those bad things. I do. I'm a horrible person in my head. But if it came to it in real life, like I know in my head I have tortured Tony Blair with like a thousand cuts. I've just had him in a basement in a room with his hands and feet tied and I've just slapped him repeatedly going, "You're a fucking war criminal. How many people have you killed? Do you even care?" But actually, if I had him in my power, I'd be like, "Okay, let's get a train to the Hague <laughs> and uh, let's keep you safe till we get there and then we'll go to the International Criminal Court." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I need to release the darkness to Like there's a part of me that totally understands why people do murder. But there's another part of me that be like, oh, I can't. I can't even I can't even hit somebody, really. I have done when I was a, when I was younger, but do you think everyone has the, that that those thoughts but either repress them, suppress them or just never speak about it? Or do you think that I hope so otherwise I'm some kind of <laughs> I'm some kind of weird monster. If everybody else doesn't no nobody thinks like that Samina you crazy person <laughs> ah. well i think I, i i don't think mine ever gets physically violent but it's another type of uh-huh. fantasy that is dark and like it's like my darkness it's as dark but it's from something <gasps> else like what um i've done the eulogy bit <laughs> but i also do the uh, <laughs> i also do the um the wedding of someone that i'm in love with and then i'm not the like i i just do a speech <gasps> so it's like me doing a speech about wishing this couple all the best even though my heart is breaking oh, like right, i break just my heart ruining their wedding i break my heart in my fantasies all the time like all i right. imagine going if i fancy someone then i'll imagine going on a date with them or even being in a couple with them right. and then i'll imagine the breakup 
and it's oh be so, this is before gonna, anything has ever happened oh yeah yeah yeah. i've just like <laughs> met them once and i'm like right, okay so let me imagine we're in a relationship oh they're probably but the same when i imagine gigs and when, you know when i run through jokes in my yeah. head I'm like right and then i'm just gonna say this and we're gonna say that oh then what if someone in the audience shouts like you piece of shit oh how would i react to that and i sometimes take myself to the hospital in my head from like this altercation between me and a heckler and oh my I god forget to do the rest of the <laughs> material so i think i have the, but that's always i guess i'm al- always the victim of right them ah okay i think but it's always something it's fun because that goes into sadness yeah where yours goes into oh, anger i'm very bad at being a victim i can't i'm yeah. just like i will how dare you I yeah no I'm I'm the opposite of that in that I'm like how 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 dare you be so stupid like I, in that scenario I'd be like how dare you be so stupid to not fall in love with me you idiot but also I know that no don't please don't anybody fall in love with me I'm a very difficult person to live with you know Mike is a sort of saint to to it's not that he's a saint it's that he's very easy going and he doesn't care about things like spoons and forks being in different parts of the cutlery drawer he doesn't care about that shit I really do So he's very easy going and he's like oh you want them in separate row okay I can do it in separate row he doesn't get hassled about stuff whereas I immediately start to do world war 3 the minute that one spoon is out of place so you know yeah where does that come from the victim thing have you have you been a victim I look all of us have in some way or the other mm-hmm. you know I I mean I grew up in a very violent household my father's very violent um and that's why my mother left him eventually um but his and his violence was not deliberate it wasn't cruel violence if there's a way of it was a lack of impulse control so mm. you know he was, um he was a very intelligent man he's still very he's still uh, but now he's 88 so he can't be violent anymore and it doesn't really work for him <laughs> um so i was very determined from a very young age like i will not take that shit from you or from anybody else And actually funny now the thing about physical violence I don't know if you've had this or you know but for me the thing about physical violence was that you you get uh, immune to it very quickly so when you but I remember clearly at the age of like five and a half six thinking ah I've done this thing I'm going to get you know beat you like slapped and beaten up for this I might as well do all the other things that I'm going to get <laughs> So actually it was kind of counterproductive for them to try and stop me from doing anything because I was just like well I've done one I might as well do them all. And so yeah I have a I have a kind of resistance to that I will not allow people to um yeah I'll not allow people to victimize me in um in any long term way like I don't have control over everything people do to me obviously but I will not allow them any uh rent free access to my brain. and i will just move on and i also think look people are people you know they are they have their own shit going on and generally speaking people who do stuff like that to other people are probably quite unhappy quite insecure um quite not at one with themselves so they've got enough angst going on i don't need to be part of it i can walk away from it i don't have a need to be loved or desired or apologized to or any of that kind of shit i'm like oh you behave like that see ya and i'm off I don't I just don't want to be around it. So I suppose my defense to that always was to keep myself safe and walk away. And so that's just the easiest thing for me to do. And did that come from your mother being able to walk away? Was um, she a tough She's a very strong woman. Yeah, yeah. she's a very, she was very young when she married my dad. So it was a very ridiculous uh marriage. It was a love marriage. Mm. Um and <laughs> what is love? No, I shouldn't sing. Um yeah, so she um Yeah, she walked away. She was very young. She was 19 when she had me. So she walked away when she was about 23, 24. She's extremely stubborn, extremely strong. Um very very kind of uh, she has a weird mix of sort of on the one hand independent has worked all her life has never been supported by anyone. On the other hand really wants a man to look after. Her. Doesn't. Doesn't. Any man who has ever wanted to look after her, she's given him short shrift. But then she's very um We've, we're very very different and we we uh, are loggerheads or we're always fighting each other to the death about things it's amazing and she has a different way of like she was the first person to ever tell me I was ugly I was 6 and I was crying and she was like look at your ugly face when you cry and I was like go and just go and look at yourself in the mirror so I did but when you're 6 you're like oh look at these ugly faces I can make and I spent about I don't know 20 30 minutes making faces at myself and then I fucked off it didn't bother me because also being ugly What does it matter? It doesn't it's not a moral failing, is it? If she called me a liar, I would have been very angry. I would have fought her to the death on that. 
as I have done on several occasions. Um, but yeah, she was a she will not stay in any situation that doesn't suit her. But we have very different methods of walking away because she's quite um, she she wants people. It's like her way or the highway. Whereas I'm a live and let live. If you don't want to be in this thing, that's fine. Off you go. But don't tell me to be in your thing. So that we have different ways of doing it. But same end, I guess. How are you like that? If somebody does that to you, if somebody behaves in a way that is not acceptable to you, what is your reaction? Someone I already... Someone you know, you love, like a family member or uh, a friend or a... Well, a family, I'm, I'm very, very... It's very easy for me to walk away. Yeah. Well, with a lot of people, uh, it's very easy for me to walk away. It's very easy for me yeah. to detach. Oh, I good. think my ability to just, yeah. oh, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. fine. Never. Yeah. You know, there's a few people that I've let in because I'm an idiot, which is the worst mistake you can ever make. Don't let anyone in. <laughs> Keep your guards up. <laughs> no, Keep your guards no, up. No, that's not the way you have to let people in. <laughs> and I do sometimes, and it's, it's I, yeah, I still don't trust it fully, but with most people in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess if you don't let people beyond, I'm very much like, when I'm there, I'm all there. When I'm gone, I'm fucking gone. Yeah. There's no coming back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have some very basic bottom line things that are do with respect and loyalty and truth. Yeah. And oh, brutal honesty. And honesty if you is cannot my thing. do that, good bye. I think I can explain a lot of things if I can explain them. I'm like, you know what, your behavior makes sense because of your whatever past trauma or you're yeah, going through yeah. a thing or I'm I feel like I can be very empathetic towards people and then I can forgive them easily easily because well, I get why you would act like that. But lying yeah, oh, I can. I cannot. I cannot handle lying. We had a with kids. Were, I'm, I, it's a real trigger for me lying. I can't. If I, somebody lies to me, then I can't trust them. With the kids, I always had a thing of my my thing with them was we can recover from anything. I might be angry with you. I might freak out. You don't. You can ignore it. I will also give you the option if I ask you a direct question. You always have the option to say to me, "I don't want to answer that question." Mm, smart. So you have that option. Do not fucking lie. Because if you lie to me, then trust is broken. And once trust is broken, we've got nothing. We have nothing. Now, people accept that. They just go, oh, well, you know, you lie. You tell little white lies. You tell. I'm like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about walk away. Don't just go. I don't want to talk about that. Mm. I'm not going to answer that question. Whatever. Then I know what's gone on. You don't have to say it. I don't have to ask you. We don't have to have that conversation. Do not ever lie to me. I take it as a, an insult. It's for me. It's a. It's like oh, you you think I'm an you think I'm a jerk because uh, I am. So, I can be so. It's an insult to my intelligence and to my empathy. It's a lack Cause, of respect. Because if you if I, yeah, it's, it's that as well. But it's them. If you lie to me about something you've done, that is you telling me that you don't think that I would understand it, or you don't think that I would be intelligent enough to get why you did that, or that I couldn't empathize with you being in that situation. That's a much bigger thing. But it's also that people lie out of fear. They do. Yeah, and then um, I was about to say, yeah, but why would you be scared of me? But that sounds really aggressive, so I get yeah. it. <laughs> no, totally be scared of me. And I Don't fucking lie to me. I but people who are habitual liars quite often have have a history of having to lie to defend themselves or to defend yeah. their safety so they just and it's just become a habit for them and i get that but with people like that i'm like okay that's who you are i have to accept that's who you are so in my head our relationship can go this far and no further we can still have a great friendship or whatever it is but it's never going to go beyond a point and i can still love you and i can still i have to accept you for who you are it's liar you're a liar. It's unfair of me to ask people to do something they're not capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mother has actually said these words to me. I never lied to my mother. We got into a lot of fights because of it. And my mother has actually said these exact words to me about something. She asked me something. And I said, don't ask me that question if you don't want to hear the answer. And she went, no, no, tell me, tell me. And I told her and she went, oh, my God, you can't even lie to me. Other children lie to their parents because they love them and they don't want to hurt them. You don't even love me enough to lie to me. And I was like, wow. I told you, don't ask me if you don't want to hear the answer. Wow. Well, I lie to people when I know that they can't, that they're not intelligent enough to handle the answer. Oh, and that can be both emotional intelligence and act. Like, yeah. Uh, so if I'm, if I have some kind of mental... 
uh, mental health thing where right. I'm like have a lot of anxiety or some for some reason like that I don't want to go to a thing. There's very few people that I would that I would tell the truth. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people would go, Ugh, that's not a thing. Yeah. And that's just based on like, right, but you're not into that world. You don't have this thing yourself. It's also a personal thing. You don't have to expose that to everybody. That's also true, but I don't yeah. I don't care about that. But it is more this um but then from me having done that already, I'm like, yeah, but that person will never be let in because I would never let anyone in who yeah. doesn't understand honesty. Who yeah. would never accept yeah. the true, raw, hardcore, painful honesty, yeah. which is like my favorite thing. Yeah, I love that. My favorite thing. Yeah. So you're saying you're doing a new show? You're working on a new show? Yeah, I'm doing a show. It was called Existerhood, but now it's called Ass Biscuits because that's a better <laughs> name for it. Uh, I'm doing it uh, next Sunday on the 20th at Bill Murray, and then I'm doing it at Leicester, and then I'm taking it to New Zealand, which I love, <gasps> New Zealand Fringe. Have you done New Zealand Fringe? Not yet. Really You've got to do go. it. They will love yeah. you. They will love you. I really want to go. They're just, I mean, it's fantastic. It's a small fringe. Wellington is a small fringe. I'm doing Dunedin for the first time as well, which will be amazing. I can't wait. I'm going to be there the whole of March. <sighs> In between, amazing. I'll just do gigs or I'll chit-chat or I'll see other people's shows or I'll go to Paikakariki or, oh, New Zealand. <laughs> I would move there if it wasn't so far away. It's so far away. It is. So um, one of the questions I always ask is, what question would you most want for me to ask you? It can be absolutely anything you want to talk about. But that maybe if this interview ended right now, this chat, yeah. and right now, you'd be like, oh, I didn't get to. Oh. oh. Or, or maybe you've had an idea about, oh, I still probably ask this, so I'll want to say this. I, I really didn't. Okay. I didn't think of it at all. Because um, it's just a sort of laissez-faire, let's go where we go. Um, I can't think of one. No? No. I feel like that means that I've done well. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been fun chatting. Yeah. So the, um, the actual last question uh, <clears throat> is this. You're in the delivery room and you have just been born. Okay, but you're you now also. Uh. So you're holding yourself, teeny tiny Samina, and Samina's crying and crying and crying because there's lights and sounds everywhere and it's very, very scary. And she's like, is this life? Is this what I've been born to do? This is horrible. This is awful. What fuck? And she's crying and crying. She's so scared. And you get to say something to her because you know what her next 50 years are going to be like. You know there's going to be loads <laughs> of lights ah. and sounds and... Oh, God. So climb back in. Weapons. Climb back in. <laughs> you can't change the future, though. Oh, so you damn can't it. give her any advice. That doesn't work. Anything's asking her to do anything doesn't work. But you can say something about, right, the next 50 years at least is what you know about will be. If if you want to calm her down, you might not want to do that. What would you say to teeny oh, tiny baby say, you? You know, you will mostly manage to live life on your own terms, it won't always be easy. You won't always get the things that you want or you think you deserve. Or, uh, But you will be surrounded by real love, real unconditional love. Um, there'll be some great sex. There will be chocolate. There will be, um, there'll be adventures and amazing people and also lots of frustration and sleepless nights. It's just what, yeah, and you'll be safe. The bottom line is you'll be safe. You're lucky. Lucky, I think. Do you still need to be told that sometimes? Um, I do tell myself constantly, because when I, when I get irritated and angry about daily frustrations, which at the moment is happening because we're trying to sell our flat, and we agreed the sale in August, and it was supposed to go through in October, and it still hasn't gone through, and it's driving me nuts. It's very, and we can't do anything. We're supposed to be living in Glasgow by now, blah, 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 blah. And then every so often I have to tell myself, hang on a minute, you have a flat to sell. There are like millions of people living in poverty in this country. There are homeless people increasing by the day. You have, you have a home. You're warm. You have enough to eat. You have people who love you and care if you, you know, fall on this. Just shut up. It'll get done. So occasionally, yes, I need to be told to just pull out my fucking socks and not be such a crybaby. But conversely, things are relative. So it's okay to also, sometimes I do have little moments where I go, okay, you can have 15 minutes to just whine in your own head at yourself. It's very boring very quickly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, where can people find your stuff? Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I'm on the life? just. Um, I think on uh, not in real life. Don't find me in real <laughs> life, please. Don't come anywhere near me. Unless in real you life. need a flat. <laughs> I have. I have literally the. Have you seen the Jeff Goldblum thing where he says uh, people always ask me how do you spell how do you pronounce your name? Is it Goldblum or Goldbloom? And I always say the same thing. Why the hell are you talking to me? <laughs> so I totally have. That's my whole thing in real life. But <laughs> I mean, obviously, I have a website which is uh, Samina Zara. .com and it has all my social medias and blah blah and I'm doing this um yeah I'm Ask doing biscuit. yeah I'm doing ass biscuits um all over the place well not all over the place two or three places uh yeah and trying to move to glasgow hello glasgow please <laughs> bring me home soon <laughs> are you doing edinburgh with your show no i'm not doing it i don't think i'm going to do edinburgh again probably <gasps> wow you I heard it here I first i might be done with edinburgh We'll see. There's no value add to doing Edinburgh unless I. I mean, I'll come in and do gigs and yeah. come in because the atmosphere is fantastic. You always see fantastic work. I'll come and you know see other people's work, maybe tech for people, do something like that. Um, but I think in terms of and of course working a show for 23 days night after night is amazing. And if I'm living in Glasgow, it might not be so expensive. But really, actually, as a value add, I don't know that it has any um, value add for me anymore. And I have other projects that I want to do. I'm, writing a book of short stories and I'm doing other stuff as well. Uh, I have a short attention span. This is my problem. <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll but I will be there. I'll definitely come up there. I'll be good. there. Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I had such fun. Thank you so much for listening. She's amazing and I can definitely definitely recommend that you also Uh, go to Patreon to find some of the extra content, which is just a thing now. So where I, I ask all of the guests from a, f a few people back, I've asked them all. There's a lot of stuff already up there. Oh my god! Oh, I'm so sorry for yawning. That is so rude. Um, so I ask them these extra questions. Uh, like, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? What's the most embarrassing thing you did as a teenager? Do you have a life hack? And also, what is your most unpopular opinion? Stuff like that. And uh, Samina was incredible. So you can get that by becoming a pat patron on patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. And you get to access to the extra content. You also get my two shows, Shimmer Shatter and Dead Baby Frog, uh, for download for free to sign up. And it should be in the welcome message i think that it's definitely there somewhere so you get a lot of nice stuff if you become a patron uh sometimes when i get very specific guests on i will ask you for questions and stuff so that you get to be more a part of it that's all on patreon.com that means that you donate a certain amount per episode and then at the end of the month the website handles it all automatically so you don't have to do anything you don't have to like, give uh go and get your credit card once a month You um, just sign up and it's happening automatically. And I support, personally, I support a lot of shows and it's just uh, shows of people or activists and it's just the best thing. It's the best thing. So if, oh yeah, sorry, before I go on to the thank yous, the very important bit, um, we are on Twitter at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H, on Facebook as Made of Human Podcast. And the website is madeofhumanpackers.com, where you can also get t-shirts and other merch. <laughs> right, but if you are a patron, uh, you will get a thank you. So, it, well, it's not just if you're a patron, it's if you're a friend of the podcast, which is $5 or more per episode, you become a friend of the podcast, which means I will thank you at the end of the episode, which will happen now. At, these are the people I want to thank at the moment of recording. So if you just signed up, it might be a little tiny while, a few weeks or something, before I mention your name to just have patience. Because basically, if I don't record all the intros at the same time, every single episode ever would be delayed. Because, uh, blah, my brain. You know, you can hear it. <laughs> you can hear my brain. Right. So at the moment of recording, I want to say a huge, 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 huge thank you to these absolute legends who are making my winter much more bearable. A huge thank you to... Andrea Papillon, Andy Walker, Anya Knoblauk, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Kat Posse, Claire McCowlin, Ooh, Connor O'Donovan, Connor O'Donovan, 
That was a new one. Danny Beckett, Daniel Ravishy, Daphne Thanger, Eleanor, Emma Appleton, Emma Chan. Holy shit. Okay. Feneladan Privacyosaurus Auroratoratops. <laughs> yeah, so if it's not obvious, you can uh, choose your own names, which Feneladan has chosen to do. <laughs> Fiona Richardson, George Pearson, Hannah Keel, Herb and Dyke, Lillian Harry French, Harry Minnett, Helena Thomas, Ida Sergo Larsen, Inger Ellingsen, James Brand, Janie Mahoney, Josie, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelson, KT, uh, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Queen T, Maury Fraser, Mansour Mir, Marble Sloss, Marak Fraser, Olivia Robson, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Feneux, Rachel Hemsley, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, still in the lead, the three Rachels. Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Kappa, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferreira, Eikerseth, Sarah Alette, Sheena Machette Cole, Susan Fjellatun, and Susie Tyler. As you know, we have a tiny competition here of, uh, you know, who can beat the three Rachels. We have three Rachels, we have two Emmas, uh, we have two Harrys. Uh, who else did we have? See, then the thing is, we have a Kathy, a Katie, and a Katrin. Right? I mean, you're so close. You know, you're so close. And then I thought, we have a KT and a Queen T. Maybe we can get an extra T in there. Unfortunately, we only have uh, one Fenelodon Privacyosaurus Auroraceratops. But maybe if we get three of those, you can win as well. Uh, yes. Yes. We have a Caitlin and a Cat. You know, we just need someone to beat the Rachels. Or not. Rachels, love you. Stay, please. But uh, thank you for being wonderful, awesome people. I also want to thank David. David. Dave is Dave short for David. Is it always? Is Dave always short for David? I don't know why I said David. I want to thank Dave. Possibly David Pickering for producing this episode, Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo. And of course to Samina for being part of this podcast. And to the rest of you, thank you for listening, and I will speak to you next week. Bye! Low power.